Dr. Marketing Tips, paging Dr. Marketing Tips. Dr. Marketing Tips, you're needed in the marketing department. Dr. Marketing Tips, your prescription to the answers you seek for growing your medical practice. Hey, it's Jen and Corey here for Dr. Marketing Tips. Hey, guys. And we want to say thanks for joining us today, and hopefully by now you've had a chance to check out our site a little bit, and you've learned some tricks that will um, make you look like a rock star back at your office. You know, most medical practices do marketing for one reason. I had air quotes there. They do marketing for one reason, to get more patients in the door. That's why you're doing this. That's that's why you're here. You want to uh, attract and, and retain more patients. So... Uh, to help you guys out, we've uh, gone ahead and put together a list of the questions that we get most often and um, kind of the, the answers that we give. So let's jump right into it. Uh, number one, this one's for you, Jen. Uh, what can I do to increase referrals at my office right now? Great question, Corey, because I actually had a doctor yesterday tell me his referrals were down and he wanted to know how he could get them back up. So um, I say take a look at where you're getting your best referrals now and work to strengthen those existing relationships. I see so many offices that will assume that they will always continue receiving referrals from their trusted relationships, but it's important to remember that relationships take work. You must continue to connect with people. You know, always assume that there is someone else out there trying to earn the same business that you've already got, and it's up to you to continue cultivating those relationships, doing everything you can to ensure those referral sources um, stay strong. Yeah, I mean, there's you know dozens of practices within a couple of miles that do the exact same thing that you do. So really, got to think about what sets you apart and why would a patient choose you over them. Okay, Corey, so here's one for you, and we get this a lot towards the end of the year, but um, what do you see as the biggest trend this year coming up for medical marketing? Well, I think that, uh, and, and jump in at any time here, but I, I think one of the, the biggest things is that you know reputation management has really kind of evolved. You know, Now it's more about almost a customer relations management or, or CRM really. It's, it's you know, attracting and retaining those patients and it's more than just looking at your reputation sites, your rate MDs and your health rates and things like that. But you know, it's, all, it's about patient satisfaction scores on surveys. It's about um, you know, customer relations and, and uh, you know, being more public with, with their responses and things like that. And um, you know, we, we see that a lot of people They'll put a, um, yeah, as far as customer service goes, it's kind of gone social. I think that's something that you know, we, we should talk about too. Uh, they'll, instead of calling with a complaint, they put it on social media because they know they're going to get a response almost immediately. And it, and it really kind of has changed the game. So the thing is about this value-based care is, you know, the, the government and reimbursements, especially with Medicare, are tied to someone and to these patient satisfaction scores. And so I think the trend that we're looking at, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but the trend that we're looking at moving forward is this value-based care component, this model, um, tied to kind of overall patient satisfaction and tied to um, online reputation management. It's all now together. So where a couple years ago we were just talking about ORM or we might have been talking separately about patient satisfaction scores. Um, yeah, you really just wanted to kind of make sure you were putting your best foot forward and, and you look good to the patients, but now there's actually some real weight behind that. Absolutely. That's exactly the point there. All right, with that we'll move on to the next question that we've got. So. Jen, in your experience, what works best to grow a practice on a uh, really limited budget? 
Uh, we're very good on limited budgets, Corey. Um, that's the, the beauty of working with Carol all these years. She's just a, a one person um, and only part of her job is marketing. And so they're very limited amount of dollars that they spend. But there's a couple of things that um, I think really do work well. First, I think that strengthening existing personal relationships is always huge, as, um, as we mentioned earlier. Um, next, I think your practice should have a strong internet presence with a social media strategy to go along. You should have a dynamic informational website that allows patients to not only get to know what you're capable of as an office, but also who you are as people. You know, people do business with people they trust or they like. So consider this a business transaction when it comes to your website. And lastly, I would suggest marketing to your existing patients. You've already got the captive audience, so you might as well use them. Consider sending out newsletters, flyers, postcards, whatever you can afford, really, in an effort to get them to recommend you or to come back themselves. Yeah, one thing I would uh, add to that is scheduling some talks in the community with your physicians because those don't cost anything. And there's plenty of organizations and groups out there that are looking for uh, a quality speaker and you happen to have, you know, one to a dozen or more of them right at your fingertips. Absolutely, which is a great segue, Corey, because we get this question all the time. Um, how do you get your practice featured in the news, Corey? Well, uh, I got good news and bad news. So this might not be the answer you want, but it's the best one I can give. And one of the, one of the ways is to hire a professional. Um, you know, when you're looking at the uh, news cycle, you have one shot to get that press release picked up, or if you're doing some blogger outreach online, you know, they're going to open the email maybe one time. And, you know, if it, if it doesn't work right, well, then you've, you've wasted your shot. So getting the news, it's complicated and it requires a fair amount of time and specialized knowledge. Not saying that you can't develop that, um, but the least headache is probably hiring someone that knows what they're doing there. You know, but, um, you know, not everybody is going to hire somebody. And sometimes you just don't even know why you want to get on the news. You right. know, if you're a larger practice, I think you can afford a retainer for somebody to handle some communications and public relations for you. Um, we talk about this in the, um, the module on public relations in our nine-part marketing um, course for medical offices. But um, just as an example, you know, when it comes to public relations, you have to be proactive. You have to go out there, um, especially if it's going to be television, you have to be proactive and um, kind of try to get in front of it, you know, come up with the idea for the story. We have, um, we have an ear, nose, throat client, and every year in, um, at the beginning of allergy season, um, we will, or a flu season, we will start thinking about you know, what would be the possible story angles and which doctors can we pitch to the media because we know they're going to do an allergy story. And it's just a matter of getting in front of the right reporter and saying, hey, we've got, you know, XYZ expert available to talk about allergies or polyps in the air or flu season or, you know, Tiger Woods hurt his back and we had a spine surgeon ready to go um, to go on camera. And so just just being proactive in going out and finding the stories will go a very long way for getting your practice on the news. Yeah, because you have, at your practice you have some great resources available, and you know these these uh, news reporters, especially TV guys, they're they're always in a time pinch, and they need some good visuals, and they need someone that knows what they're talking about, and and again, like I said a few minutes ago, you have plenty of people in your office that know exactly what they're talking about. You know, another thing, um, just real quick, we've we've been successful in the past. We have docs that do sideline coverage at football games. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to make it super easy for the reporter to do their job. And if you have a camera, you know, you're using the same camera for your, for your testimonials and you get some high definition, um, quick B-roll footage 
at an event and you can send them that plus the headshot plus the availability of the physicians and the easier you make their job the better yeah definitely definitely and this kind of um so the easier you make you make their job it's probably going to have a um you know a a pretty good effect on, on growing your practice which is actually leads into the next question here so how important is my office staff to help growing my practice as well very good question, Corey. We talk about it all the time, and um, we talked about it when we were putting together the um, our latest ebook, Ten Tips to Creating Rockstar Employees Who Will Become More Than One Hit Wonders. So, how important is your office staff? Well, they're extremely important. In fact, your staff is what you will be judged on by your patients, as they are typically the first and the last person the patient actually sees. It's as simple as being greeted with a smile. In this day and age, it's it's important to put on a happy face and always put your best foot forward. And it goes a long way, especially when so many businesses lack customer service. If you can deliver top quality customer service, it doesn't mean that you have to, to go over the top or do something that you're not comfortable with, but just greeting somebody with a smile within 30 seconds or 10 seconds of them walking in the door goes a really long way, especially, um, you know, put it in your back pocket because if you're, if you're thinking about the long game, it's all about patient testimonials, positive patient feedback, getting people to go onto Facebook, you know, using your staff to get this message across goes a long way and it doesn't cost a penny. Yeah, there's a um, psychological principle that just as people, we tend to remember the first and last things that happen to us or in a list or in a day or something like that more than what happens in the middle. And if you kind of apply that to your office, you think, you know, when someone walks in, that first impression, that means a lot. And when they're walking out the door, that one means a lot too. Obviously, they remember their time with with the physician. um, But, you know, if you had a, a you know, let's say decent experience with the physician and then you go to check out and, and, and the staff member is really rude. Well, you're going to talk about that more than your experience with the physician. So, you know, just be mindful of that. Absolutely. Good point, Corey. Good point. So I'd actually had a, um, I had a physician ask me just yesterday, do contests and giveaways work to help me grow my practice? And um, specifically, they wanted to do a contest on Facebook to try to um, encourage Facebook engagement and likes. But really, even we got into this long discussion about, you know, can I use a contest or some sort of giveaway, give away an iPad or something like that in order to help grow the practice? And so, Corey, I'm going to throw this one to you. Uh, my answer to that is meh. I mean... Not really. Uh, they can help you gain some followers on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. Yeah, that'll work. But typically, the people that jump on there for a contest, they're not, they're not quality patients. I mean, it's nice to get the number up and get the exposure up. Um, but as far as that really helping the practice, I, you know, I could go either way on, on yes or no, unless you have some sort of a, a giant prize and you know, you're, you're giving away the, the car or something like that, then you can probably get some publicity that way that might impact the practice. But otherwise, you know, I don't really know. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head, Corey. I was um, sitting in a meeting um, just recently with a group of doctors and we were talking about you know, marketing for quality versus quantity. And so I think a contest is really kind of one of those, those um, quantities. Um, yeah, it might help if you want to grow your Facebook fans or if you want to get into the media, but I, I'm with you. I don't think that that's necessarily a quality patient. Unless possibly if you're like an urgent care or you're just trying to create a database or something like that, you know, but somebody from a special, from a specialist and a subspecialist standpoint, that is not to me, just in my opinion, not the way to market the practice. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. And there's also, uh, you got to weigh the uh, you know time that goes into that too. So if you are going to go through all this effort to create this contest and you only wind up with a couple hundred new Facebook fans, so you get 200 people out of it, you know, is it worth the hours and the money that you put in on creative and getting your prize and coming up with a strategy and all that? And what could you have been doing otherwise to increase your practice and would it have been more uh, effective? All right, so moving on, next question, uh, and this comes from a, uh, a practice manager that uh, sent an, an, an email to the Dr. Marketing Tips contact form. She says, I don't collect email addresses from all patients. And should I? And if I do, what do I do with them? All right, well, first and foremost, if you're going to collect email addresses, you need to make sure that it's permission-based. So you don't take email addresses and then not tell them what you're going to use it for. So that's very important. And um, always make sure that you're paying attention to HIPAA and HIPAA compliance. But collecting email addresses is actually an easy way to build a strong, accurate customer database. You know, have a plan for communicating your marketing messages to this potential patient database, be that an email newsletter, appointment reminders, or even birthday messages, depending how much information you get when you collect the email itself. Remember, if you're on a limited budget, marketing to your existing patients is a great way to stay top of mind and to grow your practice. And um, email is a very inexpensive way to communicate on a regular basis with people that you know have an interest in what you're doing. So... If I'm hearing you right, in other words, the answer is yes. Yes, the answer is yes. It just took me a minute to get around to the actual yes. Um, okay, Corey, whatever. I'll throw you this 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 question because I get it on a regular basis, and it's it's more case by case, but um, it's something that I think everybody here at Doctor Marketing Tips is paying attention to. So the question I get is, how often should I update my practice website? Well, that depends, and it also comes with with a caveat. So, you know, you should be making changes to your website on a very regular basis. You know, that's adding practice events, open houses, um, speaking engagement, testimonials, any sort of news items for your practice, things like that, making sure that you've got, you know, all your procedures are up to date, all your physicians are up to date, bio changes are up to date, all of that stuff. But, you know, if you're going to make changes and you're going to add content, you want to make sure that it's consistent and it's quality because if you're just going to throw something up there to throw it up there, then no, you shouldn't be updating your website. All right, I'll give everybody a test right now and and we can all do it because you are probably sitting in front of a computer or you are listening to this on your phone or you downloaded an mp3 or you're listening in your car if you're doing if you're in your car don't do this but if you're sitting stationary and, and it's okay if you get distracted go ahead grab your phone or your tablet and put your website um, pull up your website and take a look at it and see if it's easy for mobile or not. Um, does it resize itself based on whatever device you're on? That's called a responsive website. If you are not responsive, I'm going to make the um, suggestion right now that you put aside some money in your upcoming marketing budget to update your website. And I will also say that if you haven't updated your website in the last couple of years, that now is the time to do it. Yeah, with as fast as technology changes, if you have not updated your website, I would say within the past four years or so, then your website is not responsive and you're losing patience that way. Um, I, I don't remember the exact specific, but I want to say, um, I know at least for a handful of our clients that uh, up to 60% of the traffic actually comes from mobile devices. 
Absolutely. It comes from mobile devices. Um, another test of whether your website needs to be updated or not is, you know, not so much are you able to accept appointments online because that's, um, that's more difficult because you have to merge with technology in the back office and whatnot. But are you able to accept requests for appointments? You know, we, whenever we build a website for a marketing practice, the first thing we tell them is, you know, we're going to put the, the process in place so that your patients can request an appointment. And sometimes it's a little scary, but what it does is it, it generates an automatic email um, and it sends it to your scheduler and then they can pick up the phone, call the patient and schedule the appointment. And we see exponential growth in um, the number of appointments. We actually were in a meeting last week and we had a client that had over 300 appointments scheduled last month alone just on their website. So if you can't do these types of things, I think it's very important that you do so. All right, and then one more thing to mention on this point, um, and I know that we've been on this one for a while, but this is really important too. You know, it's not so much just about updating the content of the website when you're when you're talking about quote unquote updating the website. You also have to look at um, at the back end of the website. For instance, we use WordPress for all of our sites, and there's constantly updates for security measures and bug fixes and uh, performance enhancements and things like that. So you don't want to actually just you know update the website one time, make it live. And then that's it because you'll you'll put yourself in, in danger really of having it hacked or having it go down and things like that. So you want to make sure that you're up to date as much as possible. All right. And moving right along, next question. Jen, do I really have to blog? Well, you don't have to do anything. Um, so the answer is no, but it helps. And even if you're posting relatable news stories to supplement original content, it can help increase traffic to your website. It helps increase your search engine visibility, and it can help increase loyalty um, to your website if you've got potential patients that are kind of lurking around, checking things out. Um, if you're putting things out on a regular basis that's educational and informative, they may come back to check it out before, um, check it out twice, maybe three times before they actually make that appointment. So like I said, you don't have to blog, but it definitely doesn't hurt. All right, Corey, last question for today. Um, and we get this one We get this one a lot because print advertising still shows up in marketing budgets, and in many cases it should. But what type of print advertising really makes a difference to my bottom line? Uh, the good kind. <laughs> so, you know, as always, it depends on your target audience, really. Um, you know, you, who are you trying to reach? Where are they receiving their media? We tell our, our clients all the time that we want to put ourselves in front of the best eyes possible and not necessarily the most eyes possible. So you want to find, you know, if you're trying to reach a, uh, a young mother, you're going to be in a different type of an advertisement than if you're going after, you know, um, an older tennis player, let's say, that wants to get back on, on the tennis court. So you need to uh, obviously be aware of that. And then also your messaging within the advertisement. You don't want to overload it with text because no one's going to look at it. You want big, pretty pictures, minimal text, drive home your main message, and then send them to the website. You know, two points that you just made, Corey, is, um, you know, it, it all, always depends on your audience. You know, one thing is that uh, we find that print advertising, traditional newspapers work if you are targeting um, the senior citizen crowd. Yep. All right. And then the, the second point, um, based on something you said, is that, you know, less text and more images. You know, I read an article recently that said, you know, 10 years ago, the average attention span was like 16 minutes. 
And um, in the in a study that was done recently, the average attention span is less than like 15 seconds now. And so, you know, people are used to, especially because of the internet and social media, they don't want to read heavy copy. Um, we read shorter books, we read larger print, we skim, we look at our headlines now. And so, you know, this translate translates even to a traditional medium like print advertising. Um, just remember, people's attention spans are long gone. By the time they've seen that photo of the doctor, they've gone on to the next thing. Yeah, and then last thing to mention right here is, you know, if you are going after that niche audience and it is a, uh, a smaller audience, one of the great things about that is it's usually cheaper ad rates because, uh, you know, you're not putting it in front of as many people. Yeah, and when you're going after those niche audiences, especially with a smaller publication, there's um, typically some wiggle room for when you're on a contract with your print advertising, some wiggle room to maybe get some content out of them as well. So it's great for helping you tell your story. Well, that's about it for today. So thanks again for joining Dr. Marketing Tips. We hope you're getting the most out of your marketing education and that it's translating to more patients and happier doctors. So until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks.